What is going on, everyone? Welcome into another episode of The Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, how are you spending the Ohio State bye week? Well, I've been playing a lot of Spider-Man on my uh, on my PS4, and I'm trying to play as much of it as I can before um, I have to play Red Dead Redemption 2 for like three months because I'm not very good at it, but I, I do want to play it. So that's I've been I've been putting in the work, really grinding, trying to get through Spider-Man. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, how is it? There's I think the the list of great Spider-Man games is fairly low. I remember the one for PS2. I don't remember which one it was. was okay, but Spider-Man games tend to be hit or miss. It feels good to play, which is pretty much the only thing I look for with a Spider-Man game. The the ones that I, I think are bad are the ones that, that really don't feel particularly good or, or realistic. But the, the spinning is fun. The fighting is pretty much just the exact same as like a Batman game. But, I mean, I, I'm having a good time with it. It's enjoyable to just kind of screw around in, and that's that's really all I have the the time and attention span for. You have to have good web-based travel to yeah. make a good Spider-Man game, I think, going from uh, from building to building. As you can tell, this is going to be this type of episode <laughs> this, this week on The Hangout in the Holy Land. We are in the midst of the Ohio State bye week, mercifully in the midst of the Ohio State bye week, as the Buckeyes do not have a game this week and prepare to take on Nebraska a week from this Saturday and get over just that horrendous loss to Purdue. So we're going to kind of be all over the map today. Make sure to follow us on Twitter over at Holy Land Pod to keep up with everything we have going on over there and at Land Grant 33 and Land Grant Holy Land for all our coverage for the Ohio State bye week and for the rest of the season. But since that's out of the way, we got a few things to talk about before we get into kind of, I guess, a mailbag episode here today, but a couple of news notes before we really get started. Uh, wide receiver Austin Mack, it looks like he's going to be out basically for the rest of the season, maybe bowl game time he'll be ready to go, but he had foot surgery the other day. He's going to be out six to eight weeks and had 26 catches, 331 yards, a touchdown this year. Uh, unfortunate for him. He'll be a senior next year, so hopefully he's good and ready to go for next season. But just another uh, bad news note in what was a pretty awful week for Ohio State. Yeah, there's really not a not a ton of great news <laughs> with Ohio State right now. I think the loss of, of Austin Mack is, is certainly not great for Ohio State, obviously. It, it is nice that they have plenty of receiver depth with with guys like Benjamin Victor behind him and I would like to see some Jalen Harris but certainly not not good by any means to be without Austin Mack that's my biggest takeaway from this is that you know we've championed Austin Victor or Austin Victor Benjamin Victor on this show and I feel like this is make or break for him this is the time you know there's really no more excuses the coaching staff can't keep him off the field for his blocking which we saw in the Purdue game highlighted but this is it for him. This is this is the chance, and it sucks that it comes, I think, at the expense of Austin Mack, but he's going to see more of the field going forward in a more consistent basis, and 
We'll see if that's able to change the offense and if he is able to add that deep threat that we've been talking about so much. Yeah, I'm not super confident in Ohio State uh, switching up any of the things that they do on offense. I just wrote an offensive film room piece that people can read on landgrantholyland.com if they'd like to. And basically my takeaway from that is that Ohio State's play calling is bad. Their play design is, is generally pretty bad. And also they're not executing well. So they're really the trifecta. <laughs> that leads into our next topic here about the defense, the group that is also not executing anything <laughs> very well right now. And right as the moment we are recording this on Wednesday, Greg Schiano has just spoke to the Ohio State beat. And boy, there were some, there were some choice quotes in this little presser that Greg Schiano had, including, quote, I think the linebackers have played consistently. Mm. And consistently quote, which, bad. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, he, he might not be wrong in, and he also said, quote, we are close. Mm. And that was also something Bill Davis said before the game against Purdue. And I understand that that's kind of part of their job as coaches. They're not going to go out and just be like, you know what? These guys suck. We suck too. We were awful. It's not very good right now. We are going to be much better for, for next week against Nebraska. We got a lot of things to work on. I understand that there's certain things that they just aren't going to say and, and talk about certain details of, of schemes and how certain plays and responsibilities work. But it really does irk me that the staff kind of just seems intent that like, no, 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 we're just staying course. It's all fine. And Shiano said that, things got away from them in the fourth quarter. And I think that that's obvious given what happened in the fourth quarter, but just from jump street, man, it, it was ugly. And everything we saw exposed earlier in the season was just taken to the next level against Purdue. And it's just them being so resistant to change is very frustrating. And it's understandable that Ohio state just can't come out and change their whole defensive scheme in the middle of the season. Cause that would probably go worse but it's clear also that there are certain things that just aren't working and need a change. And I think that they may be playing coy a little bit here in front of the media in terms of just sticking their ground, but something has to change. One of the, I, I posted a, a GIF of this play on Twitter yesterday and I was watching the Ohio State Purdue game again. One of the things that I saw was, um, <laughs> we, we talked about this on the preview podcast actually, it's kind of a joke. But there was a third and two where Purdue had the ball in Ohio State territory. And Ohio State blitzed several linebackers, which I don't really know why you would do on a third and two, but whatever. And they they had Rondale Moore in the slot covered by Isaiah Pryor 10 yards down the field on a third and two. <laughs> and it's like, how how would that ever work? How would that How would that ever work in a million years? Having a safety who's not particularly good in coverage on bad receivers cover Rondale Moore when you know he's just going to run a drag route. And he ran a drag route and he went for like 12 yards. <laughs> it's just horrible. And I, I don't know. I don't I don't think it's, it's too unrealistic. Certainly they're not going to change their whole scheme and just go to a, a zone or a defense that's uh, good and not stupid like this. But um, like just not doing that seems like seems like it would be a good enough idea like if you're gonna make Isaiah Pryor cover somebody give him some help across the middle like with a linebacker in a zone or maybe don't put Isaiah Pryor on a slot receiver from you know 10 yards out but I I, I don't know I'm not the <laughs> I'm not the the defensive coordinator making 1.5 million dollars but then again Greg Schiano might not be pretty soon here <laughs> so 
<laughs> yeah, and I think what what upsets me the most about hearing these guys talk about, and I, by these guys I mean Meyer and Chiano, and I guess anybody else on the defensive staff outside of Larry Johnson, because there's nothing to complain about with yeah, him. Yeah, he's doing fine. Is just just the linebackers because I think the the back end struggles and the safety struggles. I, I'm not surprised that they're struggling so much. That's something we've talked about from the start of the season. We were worried about before the season. That makes sense. The linebacker stuff, I don't see how they can justify it all saying, hey, these guys are playing much better. We're getting really close because it's it's just not. And not only is it this season, but just going back to last year, I don't know how they can justify it based off of how solely Jerome Baker played because we were on this podcast last season and just killed Jerome Baker all season. And the more games in 2018 that passed by, the more I think like, man, we were dead wrong for that. Like that wasn't his fault. He was just put in bad positions all season because you go back to 2016 and like, we've seen some really, really good linebacker seasons from Ohio state players. I mean, there's been some transcendent linebackers, even if they weren't great in the NFL, there's been some great linebackers here and Jerome Baker's 2016, I don't think gets enough attention as one of those like transcendent seasons because he was so awesome from a playmaking perspective that year and everything just kind of went away last year. And not only that, he was just playing bad and he looked like he had no idea how to play the position. And I think that should have been enough for them to be like, maybe this hire wasn't the best. And now you have another year of it, and these linebackers just, they aren't even a factor, and that's that's the scary part, is that when these big plays are happening, these aren't guys getting juked out of their shoes, getting, you know, meeting a guy in the hole and missing a tackle, getting spun out of, or just getting stiff-armed other than tough Borland in the two-lane game. But they're just not there, and, and that just goes back to scheme. So as much as they want to trumpet, hey, you know, we're still working on it with the players – it just seems to me that it's so glaringly obvious that it's just scheme more than anything. Yeah, and like like you said, Jerome Baker was really good in 2016. He was like, hey, this guy's going to be a top 15 pick good, and then he just kind of left without any fanfare at all. He wasn't the only one either. It, it felt like Dante Booker was really good until 2017, yeah. and now he doesn't even play. It, it is just like linebackers have gotten worse under under bill davis and that's you know there's probably <laughs> probably a reason for that and I, I think that the loss of of luke fickle certainly hurt ohio state more than some people thought it would he's he's doing very well at cincinnati which is not particularly surprising because i think he's a really good coach but marcus freeman hive stand yeah, up have you seen okay so this will this will fit perfectly in our, our wheelhouse for this podcast. Have you seen who um, a good portion of Ohio State fans would love to hire to replace Bill Davis? I haven't, but I'm <laughs> assuming it's Bobby Carpenter or A.J. Hawk. You're close. <laughs> James Laurinaitis. Oh, he's God. like campaigning for the job. He, he's like on Twitter talking about what Ohio State's linebackers are doing wrong and like what he would do to fix it. <laughs> I don't know. I would like for Ohio State, because if they're going to hire – a former player, which Merck Freeman obviously is. I would like it if he has coached ever before. <laughs> yeah, uh, honestly, I don't think James Laurinaitis could be worse than Billy Davis. But if we're just going to go that route, Marcus Freeman knows Ohio. Yeah, he's, he's good. He's here. legitimately he's, good at he's his job. He's already coached 
Yeah, and he's coached at the Division One level, and he's already coached in the Big Ten under Daryl Hazel at Purdue. So I, I think that that's that's the route that they should go if if they were to. Yeah, he's like he's a good recruiter. In general, he's been very good for Cincinnati. Purdue was a very tough situation to be good in, but their linebackers were never all that bad under him. I think if Ohio State's going to hire a former linebacker to coach their linebackers, it should be Marcus Freeman. I, I don't – okay, I understand why people want James Laurinaitis, but I, I don't agree with that at all. And um, we will we will campaign uh, heavily for, for Marcus Freeman to take over for for Billy Davis. But, yeah, the, the linebackers thing – like and the coaches, like you said, the coaches saying that they feel like they're close is really frustrating, because they just gave up 49 points to Purdue. And Greg Schiano, one of the things that he mentioned was that the linebackers, he they had them playing uh, less up on the line of scrimmage against Purdue than they had in any other game to this point, which just isn't true. I don't true. believe that. It's, it's not true. <laughs> no. He said, I I think he said it at one other point that. They've only ever had the most linebackers that they've had on the line of scrimmage was one to help with double teams, to avoid double teams, which is just lying. It's not true. <laughs> I, I've seen them blitz three linebackers on a play and have all three of them up on the line of scrimmage before the play. I've seen them do it with two. I mean, I've seen them go out of a nickel, put a linebacker on the line, and then blitz a cornerback. It's not true. <laughs> they're they're bringing six guys just about every play, and it's it's just it's dumb. It's a dumb thing to do. And it really does just seem like nothing is going to change because Greg Schiano is so confident in his in his scheme and so confident in the way that he does things. And I'm really I'm not super confident that anything will change. I, I think it's probably just gonna look the exact same and they're gonna hope that the players will step up and and make plays that are probably out of the the realistic expectation for those players which is, I guess, what they've been doing for the last couple of years under Greg Schiano. Yeah, and the thing we haven't really talked about is there's just a lack of playmaking on that back seven, which is such a surprise because we've seen, in addition to the defensive line, historically, since Urban Meyer has been here, there are so many playmakers, and the, that's the most worrying thing is I don't know if it's like the players aren't, they just aren't playmakers or they aren't being put in position because it, it just seems like we haven't even seen a play from any of the defenders, say for like tough Borland or Draymond Jones or Nick Bosa, but anybody in the back end, like the Minnesota interceptions and the Indiana plays seem like they were just throws right to guys. Like there was the nice Isaiah Pryor interception. And maybe that that's the only play I can think of from the back seven where I was like, damn, that was something we would have seen even in 2016, but I don't know. It, it just seems like they, they've cut off the ability to even make plays. So it, it doesn't like whatever their defensive goals are. I don't know what they are because it, it isn't translating to the field. It isn't, Hey, make big plays. It isn't stopping big plays and it's not limiting efficiency because they're basically letting offenses do whatever they want right now. Yeah. It like, <laughs> Greg Schiano just talking about how they're missing tackles and that's the issue is that there's missed tackles is like just it's just wrong it's just him pretending that, that the issue is not him but rather the players and it's just like you you know you mentioned that they don't it doesn't seem like they don't have the it doesn't seem like they have playmakers in the back seven and I think that that's that might just be the case you don't you don't always have 
elite talent in the back seven. I mean, Malik Hooker is is not walking through that door. And, you know, when you don't have elite talent back there, especially when you don't really have a, a ball hawking safety to, to take down the the deep throws, I don't think Isaiah Pryor is capable of that. We know Jordan Fuller isn't. I You, you have to adjust. You have to adjust your scheme. And Greg Schiano doesn't seem willing or capable of, of doing that. It, it doesn't seem like he knows what he's doing wrong. And that's, you know, it's just like trying to, they're, they're talking about how they're trying to identify what's, what's going wrong, whether it's a scheme thing, a personnel thing, or a, a play calling thing. It's like, it's all of them. Why, why do you need to identify that? It's all three of them. It's very obvious that the personnel doesn't fit the scheme. And like, you have to change that. You have to either change the personnel, which I don't think Ohio State really has the capability of doing. The guys that they're starting are probably starting for a reason. I'm assuming that these are the most talented players that the defense has. So you have to change that scheme to fit them. You you have to you have to put Isaiah Pryor in situations that he's more comfortable in. You you cannot make him play center field or play man coverage on a slot receiver. He's not good at that. He's he's pretty good at tackling. He's pretty good at coming up and making plays. But if you know if you need that guy to be a center fielder, then put Sean Wade back there at safety. Put Jordan, you know, put Josh Proctor back there at safety. You you have these guys who are capable of playing that center field position, and it's just like Ohio State's trying to trying to make things work in their system without having the right players for that system. So like you have to change the system, or you have to get the right players, and you can't go get those right players right now because the next recruiting class doesn't come in until next season. And if you don't have those guys, that's also on the coaching staff because these are the guys going out and recruiting. And if Isaiah Pryor, they know wouldn't fit their scheme, why'd they get him? Why are they using him like this if they knew that it it wouldn't be a fit for him? It was obvious from the time that they recruited him that he was going to be the replacement for Jordan Fuller, not the guy to play next to him. He's not Malik Hooker. He's never going to be a Malik Hooker. He's he's supposed to be the next Jordan Fuller, and it's not fair to him to use him as Malik Hooker, to use him as Dame Webb. That transitions good into the offense and something that Urban Meyer talked about on the Big Ten teleconference the other day about using Dwayne Haskins in relation to the offensive scheme and what they traditionally like to do. And somebody asked him what the differences were with the run game working with Haskins instead of JT Barrett. And he said, quote, I'd have to say we spent at least 12 hours on that. And that's something that's just like also totally baffling. We're like, why would you recruit this guy if you didn't know how to use him or you were going to use him exactly the same way as JT Barrett? And this can't be the first time that they were like, you know what? It probably isn't going to work the way that it did with JT and we saw it in the Purdue game where there was just like a plethora of RPO read stuff and it boggles down the run game as a whole. And so I think if, if something is to change offensively or defensively that we can like feel confident about going into the Nebraska game, I think this might be the only thing for me or the, like the top thing for me is like, okay, if they say that they finally have recognized, hey, the style of offense we've run with JT probably isn't going to work for Dwayne. I think that it's going to change, but it's like super upsetting that it would take this long for them to feel like maybe the run game should be different. Yeah, we um, we we asked on uh, on Twitter for questions this week for this podcast because there's not a ton going on right now, and the um, the the topic of Ohio State's inability to run came up 
quite a bit. Um, I think that that's something that Ohio State fans are very much aware of because it's so different from usual. Ohio State is more more than used to running well. It's kind of what the whole program is built around is being able to run the ball. So I, I think we can I think we can probably get into some of those questions, talk about why Ohio State's running game is the way it is. And it really does, it comes down to the fact that Ohio State doesn't know what they're doing right now. Ohio State doesn't know what to do with Dwayne Haskins. And I think that, I think it's another case of, you know, they're just, no, they're not putting a, a player in a position to succeed. Dwayne Haskins isn't a runner. He's never going to be a runner. There's really no reason to keep calling what is essentially a, a, a handoff at this point, because you know he's not going to keep it while isolating an edge rusher and not blocking him like it was a read option in the red zone. <laughs> they did that. They're just like, hey, come free into they our backfield so here. Times. This guy isn't going to keep there was, it. There was a play that I isolated in my film room where Purdue had eight guys in the box down on the red zone. It was uh, it was on like the nine-yard line. It was early on in the game. And Ohio State had three wide receivers out, and they had a tight end up on the line. I think it was Luke Farrell, who is not playing well. And the three wide receivers had single coverage. Very easily could have been open had Ohio State called, I don't know, like a play action, just you know, just once or twice just to make the defense think about it. Uh, but no, they, they, wanted to, they wanted to hand it off against an eight-men-in-the-box look. All eight of Purdue's defenders in the box blitzed, including both guys on the edge because they knew they knew that Dwayne Haskins wasn't going to run and JK Dobbins had nowhere to go and it's just it's just dumb it's like a dumb insane thing to do where <laughs> where you think well we can probably run into this eight man box with our five linemen and tight end who's not particularly good at blocking <laughs> it's just i don't i don't know there are there are more complex problems with this offense than just you know, Ohio State keeps trying to ram the running back against an eight-man front, and that's never going to work. But that's certainly, I think, probably the biggest issue right now is that Ohio State just doesn't understand that eight is more than six, <laughs> and they have no chance against that. Speaking of issues, do you have any thoughts on the reported tension between Urban Meyer and Gene Smith? Meyer went on that teleconference and refuted that and said he speaks to Gene Smith daily multiple times a day and that at least when it comes to his relationship with Smith that it's fine. I mean <laughs> I'm not super sure if Urban Meyer's in a position right now where I'm gonna believe many of the things that he says. I, I think he, he has kind of lost that ability <laughs> a little bit. I, I mean I don't know if there's like the kind of tension that like would actually cause any kind of real turmoil would actually cause a coach to be fired or anything. But I'm sure Gene Smith isn't happy that his, his football program just lost 49-20 to 20 to Purdue. I mean, I don't think any athletic director would be particularly happy about that, especially one at Ohio State. And I, I seriously doubt that, that Gene Smith is, is super happy that most of Ohio State's problems stem from the fact that Urban Meyer keeps hiring his friends. I, I think that that's a really good way to uh, lose the ability to hire your own coaches as, as a head coach. And that might not be the worst thing in the world because Urban Meyer has uh, not had the best hires in the last couple of years. I'll, I'll say that. I think really since, what, like 2015, it, it doesn't feel like Ohio State has had more than like one good hire. I think Tony Alford is, is pretty good at his job, even if the running backs aren't having a great season. It's not really their fault. 
Um, but outside of that, Greg Schiano, Greg Studrawa, Billy Davis, even the new guys like Tabor Johnson and Alex Grinch, not particularly impressive. I, I still have quite a few questions about Kevin Wilson. Ryan Day looking less and less appealing every day, I think, <laughs> especially as Ohio State scored 30, you know, 20 points on Purdue, including seven of which that came when the game was pretty much already over. There's There are a lot of concerns with this coaching staff, and I think that that's probably where that, that friction comes from. Yeah, and I, I think that it's it it's impossible for there not to be some sort of tension after how the summer went and really how this whole season has gone and the expectations that there were coming into it. So I think it's less of like, oh, somebody's somebody's going to get fired, Gene Smith's going to leave, Urban Meyer's going to get fired, and more just like the tension when you have known somebody or worked with somebody for so long and something like this happens. There's just there's bound to be tension. There There isn't just going to be smooth sailing throughout it but like you said I, I do think that most of it stems from obviously the summer and everything that went on and gene smith probably feels like he got sold up the river a little bit by some of these coaching mm-hmm. hires and when you pair that with zach smith i think that's what takes it over the top it's like hey man I, i've trusted you to hire these guys you've had personal relationships with them and it's fine when the results are good you know you can make those hires but when they go bad, not only to make the bad hires, I think what's probably compounded any of that tension is the resistance to change. Like, listen, man, you need to ax some of these guys and him probably saying, nope, this is this is the way we're going. This is the culture we've created. These guys are embedded. You know, we're, we're right there getting back to what they've said about the linebackers and the defense. Hey, just trust it. We're right there when clearly it's not right there. Yeah, and the coaching staff, we, we've certainly, we, I think we've talked about the, the, the things that the coaching staff has said in today's media availability. It really, yeah, it doesn't give me confidence that they're going to fix anything. It doesn't seem like they think that there's all that much wrong. And that, that may just be you know, posturing so as to avoid looking like a complete catastrophe, I guess. But, I mean, everybody saw what Ohio State did against Purdue. I think people kind of know what's wrong with the program. And it, it is like I imagine that, that that's probably not great for, for Gene Smith either, seeing the coaching staff uh, just a couple days removed from a 29-point loss saying, well, we, we think that the linebackers are playing consistently. We, they're, they're generally they're generally fine. Greg Schiano saying that he wouldn't label Ohio State's defense as a problem, things like that. It's like, well, I mean, that, that feels a little bit too, <laughs> feels a little bit too optimistic. But yeah, before, before we get, we get too mad about the defensive staff or anything like that, we should, we should probably get to these questions before this is a, a three hour long episode. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Where do you want to start? Let's, let's get a little break from, from football and start with um, some Mario Kart. Let's talk about <laughs> Let's talk about some Mario Kart. So we got this question from our uh, our former editor. She's now with uh, SB Nation's Eagle site. We miss her very much, Alexis Chasen. Um, she says, who is your go-to racer in Mario Kart and why? And this is either in the, the SNES version or the N64 version. My answer is Yoshi. My my answer is Yoshi, and I, I, think, I'm, I think I stand by that. <laughs> I think that's everybody, every rational person's answer is yoshi i always like playing with yoshi it's probably a little bit unfair i guess we are those guys playing with yoshi but yoshi's the one if you're like 
playing with buddies and doing the thing where nobody's allowed to be Yoshi because objectively he is the best racer him or toad since they're small and have the speed I like to go with wario because one who who doesn't love wario and he's got that balance enough where he's fast enough but he's not as bulky as bowser or dk so you can kind of move him around he can still ram people if you're playing battle mode so i i think if you're going non yoshi division then i would say wario and then if you're still going for speed probably toad but i'm, I'm team wario to the death yeah i, I think if you're if you're looking for <clears throat> some some power wario is probably a uh as good a bet as <laughs> as any um my i know that, that we are both in 64 pe- fans on this podcast um my i i do have a slight issue with the the mario on the n64 and that it, it comes from playing the new Mario Kart game on the on the Switch. I guess it's not all that new anymore. It's new to me because I just got a Switch pretty recently. Um, my issue is that when I go back to the N64, those goddamn controllers, they're so bad. <laughs> the N64. Yo, I would... I can't do it. It's so bad. This is heresy. <laughs> this is heresy on the show. I won't stand for this shit at all. I will stand by the N64 controller being actually very good i know it's a little bit awkward people don't have three hands <laughs> listen you just have to know how to navigate it i would say that it it's better than the snes controller it's less simple than the snes but i i'll vouch for the n64 being you know what the second best controller behind the original ps2 mm. i can't i can't do it i can't do it i you like you have to hold the inside joystick and the far right outside joystick and the little, like the joystick thing that they actually have there, the little stick that comes up is just so finicky and I, I, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> this is, I, I'm taking this as, as a man that doesn't know how to use the slide <laughs> or the jump feature. This is where all this jealousy and hatred comes and from. The button stick. If only you knew how to slide. <laughs> vouch for the n64 controller where does mario kart rank in your all-time video game rankings? oh god most of my most of my video games experience are with sports games uh, of various different sports usually football games but um i mean it's probably top five right i i think you i think you get a good mario kart game going that's as good a, a video game experience as you'll as you'll have. I, I think that the original Red Dead Redemption has to be up there. NCAA 14 and NCAA 06, I think I would put up there. I know that you're an 07 guy, but I, I stand by 06. I don't know, maybe um, maybe Mario Sunshine. I like Mario Sunshine a lot, and then probably Mario Kart in that top five. That's a solid list. The only reason I like 07 more than 06 is i think you can make audibles at the line and like if you're playing multiplayer in 06 and you're just getting killed by a pass rush there's nothing you can do about it and i i've been there and it frustrates the hell out of me but 06 and 07 i think are pretty interchangeable and that's probably my favorite game of all time and then mario kart and mario kart has more of like the multiplayer i have friends over potential than maybe any other game ever because you can play battle you can play drunk driving which you should never do in real life but mario kart version very fun so it just it has that single player and the multiplayer potential and the replay value i think is 
immense. And I would throw the original Halo up there on Xbox, any of the Metal Gear Solids on PS2, and then Mario 64 is, is obviously a classic. But we could go on for hours and hours and hours about uh, video games, but I, I would definitely have Mario Kart in, in my top three. Another question that you referenced earlier about the run game comes from us from John Corley, and he says, should Ohio State consider moving to a one running back game plan? Or put another way, does alternating drives between Weber and Dobbins have an effect on the running game? They've never done that with a QB, so why do it with a running back? I agree with him that they've never done it with a QB because we're just going to vacate the 2015 <laughs> season from yeah, our minds. So I'm with you, John. But I don't, I don't know how much of an effect that has. I, I definitely do think that they, they tend to give early handoffs to either one and like, okay, who has the hot hand? And it does feel a little bit forced that there isn't just one guy and then somebody coming in later on in the game. I think if it were up to me, you would have Dobbins kind of start the game and and just and not wear down defenses because Weber's obviously the, the more physical back, but I think be that guy that can kind of tire defenses out. And then when you need to ice the game away, that's when you come with that straight line running and ability to kind of power over people in Mike Weber. But it doesn't really seem like they have a defined plan for those guys. It's just like, hey, let's let's get them both on the field, not at the same time. But I, I would like to see a little bit more of that. But it, it doesn't feel to me that there's any defined idea of what this running back hierarchy is. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I would completely go to just having the one back. I don't think that there's there's as much to the the theory that you know switching them so frequently hurts their their play. I think that they're probably pretty capable of of switching, and I, I don't think it's like quarterbacks where they can get cold on the sideline. It's it's not nearly as a um, it's not nearly as focused a a position. You don't have to you know, process so much information, and being taken off the field doesn't impact that so much. But I, I do think I would like to see maybe a little bit more Dobbins and a little less Weber, which is actually not really supported by the the stats right now. I think Mike Weber has had a couple slightly better games recently, but I think overall J.K. Dobbins is, is the more talented player and maybe just a little bit less switching on like a drive-by-drive basis because it really does feel like they just take them and they just rotate every drive regardless of context. And it feels like we've been pushing for this for weeks now, but just, you know, like having having guys not just rotate on a drive-by-drive basis and doing it more contextually. So J.K. Dobbins goes in against defenses that are a little bit more aggressive. Mike Weber goes in against defenses that are a little bit more conservative. And right now that would probably mean a lot of J.K. Dobbins because pretty much every defense is playing Ohio State aggressively. But I don't, I don't think the biggest issue with this this rushing attack right now is the running backs. I, I think it's more of a a line thing, more of a play calling thing, and a an execution thing above all else. On that same front, Joseph asks, why can't we just run a simple run just because we don't have a mobile quarterback? Also, what team is going to want Shiano running an entire <laughs> program, let alone their defense after the season? For the first question, I think that that's what Urban Meyer addressed, and that's what I feel the only thing I feel comfortable about them changing is they have to change the run game, and I don't think we'll see as much RPO stuff 
going forward. And on the Shiano thing, imagine being like the Tennessee brass or boosters watching that Ohio State Purdue game and knowing that you went after Greg Shiano and Jeff Brom and just like having both sides of the spectrum, like, whoo, dodged a bullet with that one for Greg Shiano and also being like, God damn, Jeff Brom. We could have had yeah, they went but perfectly I think Jeremy Pruitt, with Jeremy Pruitt. Yeah. Jeremy Pruitt's doing a good job and I think that they've gotten better this year, but I don't think Jeff Brom's gonna be Purdue's coach for very much longer. Yeah, I the Greg Schiano thing, I don't think a team is going to want him running an entire program after this season. Uh, um That's the problem yeah, now. I don't know. Maybe um <laughs> I tweeted this yesterday. Maybe John Gruden will hire him. And uh, they can get the gang back together because I'm pretty sure Greg Schiano was was down there coaching at least one of of Gruden's defenses with the Buccaneers, but I could be wrong on that. Maybe just just hoping <laughs> that there's a connection there. But yeah, with the the quarterback thing, I do think that their solution is probably just going to be that they put Tate Martello in the red zone, which I, I think is a, a dumb solution. I really it wasn't successful with JT Barrett and, and Cardell uh, Jones. I just I don't know. I I think there are better ways to. I think there are better ways to do it than just put in a different quarterback. And when you take Dwayne Haskins out of the game, you're taking out what is pretty easily the most effective part of the offense. And it it really, it signals to the defense that you're probably not going to be passing, which they already know. I mean, defenses know Ohio State's not going to be passing in the red zone. But maybe just start passing a little more, start doing a little bit more play action try to actually run an RPO instead of just handing it off every single time because they don't do that. They The RPOs are only handoffs. They are just they just look like RPOs because Haskins is never going to keep it. But taking advantage of the mismatches that they have with the speed on the outside, using Paris Campbell as a decoy I think would be smart. I'm, I'm not really sure why they're not doing that. Purdue did that a ton with Rondale Moore, and it, it worked really well, but that might just be because Ohio State's defense isn't coached very well, but there are ways to there are ways to to kind of have the same effect as a mobile quarterback without actually having a mobile quarterback and plenty of teams are are capable of doing that. So I I really I'm not super sure why Ohio State isn't other than just a a lack of ability from their coaching staff. I I don't I don't really know. I'm at the point where I'm team throw the fade to Ben Victor three times inside the five. Like that's where we're at with the red zone offense right now is throw the goal line fade. That is just as much of a viable option, possibly even better than what they're doing right now. Uh, Bud asks, is Dwayne Haskins now out of the Heisman race? I think as long as Tua is alive, I I think he was never really in the Heisman race. He'll he'll probably be there in New York, but I mean, Tua is going to win it. So it's not really... I don't think it's really a race as much as it is just who finishes second, who finishes third. I, I think it'll probably be Dwayne and, and Kyler Murray. Yeah, I, I think that he's still in it. He still has a good shot to go to New York. If they win out, then I think he'll definitely be there. If you're an Ohio State quarterback putting up the numbers that he is, then you will always have a chance. But to your point, that this thing is just too or a bust right yeah. now. And a, a larger discussion of what the Heisman is and how boring the Heisman has become over like the last three or four years, I think needs to be had by the general public because it's awful right now. But we'll save that for another day. On the subject of Alabama, this was my favorite question. We got this from Zach, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it because I have I have what I think is an interesting take on this. He says, what's the big difference between, or what's the big difference in Alabama and Ohio State football 
in terms of why it seems that the Buckeyes always lose big in one game a year to lesser opponents. Meanwhile, Alabama never seems to get blown out by those type of teams and we're supposed to be as good or have as much talent as each other. Um, you know how Nick Saban is mad after every game, regardless of the result? I think that's the difference, is that, that Nick Saban is not nearly as complacent as Urban Meyer is. I, I think Nick Saban is a, a significantly better actual coach, not just a recruiter. He's a very good recruiter, too. But Urban Meyer's a recruiter. He's always been a recruiter. And I think that when he is... is not super happy with with one of his teams which it doesn't seem like he is with this year he has a tendency to mope um he did this at florida too and when a coach is is moping and not really coaching all that well your your team's going to get blown out and it doesn't happen at alabama because i think the the structure that nick saban has built there is significantly stronger than the structure that urban meyer has built here because ohio state's wins are based entirely on talent i, I don't think ohio state is really going out and, and hiring cutting-edge innovators at any position. They're, I mean, Larry Johnson's really good, but outside of him, they're, they're pretty much just sticking to what they know. And Alabama, when they felt that they were getting to a point like that in, in 2013-ish range, they went out and they hired Lane Kiffin. They changed up the way that they do things to adjust to a modern version of college football, and they'll probably do that again sometime soon if they feel like they're slipping again. And I think that that's what the difference is, is that... Nick Saban is willing to adapt. Urban Meyer isn't. That's that's what it comes down to. Alabama definitely tends to be, and Nick Saban tend to be much more X's and O's based. And as you brought up, I think it was either last show or the preview show. You know, Nick Saban will hire guys that he absolutely despises. He didn't even. There's no way he even liked Lane Kiffin before he made that hire. Much less when he was actually on the staff. Given how that thing yeah. ended, you know, he didn't like him at all. But he recognized that it was a necessity for Alabama's offense to change. And I think that's one part of it. I also think that Ohio State's program is built much more on emotion than Alabama's program is. And we see each year there's a new slogan. There was the chase. There was the grind. You know, there were the wolves. There seems to be much more emotion put into what Urban Meyer does and how he likes to lead than Nick Saban does. And that's not to say that there's no emotion at Alabama, but their structure seems very analytical and very set with what they like to do. And Ohio State's is much more emotional. And I think that when it works, it works even better at times than what Alabama does. Because if you have a group of players and a group of coaches that all believe in that and they're talented, it's really hard to beat, and we saw that at the end of 2014 where they were just running over teams, and that's really hard to beat. But at the same time, it's hard to do that every single year, let alone every single week. And when that kind of breaks down, I think that's where the disconnect happens, and that's where you see those blowout losses because Alabama's kind kind of just like smooth every single week. It's just kind of the same thing. You know Nick Saban's not going to be happy. There isn't much fluctuation in it. And with Ohio State, I think there is because it's just hard to maintain that level of emotion each week. And if you don't have everybody buying in at the same time, I think that's when you see stuff like the fourth quarter last week or you see the Iowa game or you see the Oklahoma game or the Clemson game where one side of the ball is really going well. There's a portion that's playing really well, but – 
elsewhere, it just kind of goes to shit. And by the end of the game, it's just like, not that there's quit, but you see the thing like Rondale Moore being on the sideline and then making like five dudes miss and cut back up field. That's where I think those breakdowns happen, and that's where the blowout losses come from, and that's why you don't see it at Alabama. Uh, we have a question here from On the Bench Podcast. Uh, they they say, is this the only play Weber and Dobbins have been on the play on the field together at the same time all year? And it's a it's a link to a, a Mike Weber touchdown against Oregon State. Please explain why two NFL running backs shouldn't be on the field together. I don't think I have super strong takes on on the two running back look i wouldn't hate to see it i I think it would be kind of an interesting approach that ohio state could take and a a good way to like like i said earlier with with the Parrish campbell thing a good way to kind of supplement not having a mobile quarterback is by having two running backs in there because then the defense has to consider two options i'm not super sure ohio state's going to do that just because i'm not sure how comfortable they are with any of the schemes that come with that i don't think that they really have many in their playbook but i i would like to see something like that a little more i, w- I would like to see some jk dobbins and mike weber even put demario mccall in there with one of them put Paris campbell in the backfield sometimes i i wouldn't i wouldn't mind that at all it, it worked with with curtis samuel a couple years ago and I, I think it could it could help again this year that's interesting you bring up demario mccall or putting in some of the backup sprinkling that in because that ties into I think the Alabama question and part of the reason why things don't happen to them like that and part of that is because their backups are more seasoned you'll see guys like Najee Harris in his freshman year get a lot of time and by the by the time they play in the national championship game he's the workhorse back in the second half and Ohio State's philosophy seems like much more rigid of like, we're only going to play the starters. Like it's the video game NCAA philosophy where, you know, you just leave your guys in, you're up 77 to three and you're like, I still want more stats. I'm leaving the starters in Ohio State. Not that they're gunning for stats, but seems like plays much more just like, hey, these are the 11 starters will rotate guys in for specific packages. And I would like to see a couple of different running backs on the field at the same time and I don't think that that's a complete offense changer but just to give a new look just to have you know a couple different things that you can do and it just seems like they aren't interested in that yeah Alabama's um starting receivers right now they're they're leading receivers I guess uh Jalen Waddle is a true freshman he's seeing plenty of touches uh Jerry Judy is a sophomore Henry Ruggs big booty Judy yeah, baby. he's very good uh Henry Ruggs the third is a sophomore and Devontae Smith is a sophomore they play their young guys they, you know they they go out and they those are those are their starting receivers and they're certainly not the oldest receivers on the team I'm sure that that Alabama has more experienced receivers on the team and they just they're not as talented and that's you know that's something that Alabama is willing to do they are willing to play younger guys over more talented players and I I mean it, it I don't I don't really like to to retroactively say that Ohio State could have made a better decision or you know could have changed something because it's much easier to know that now but like Von Bell over Tyvis Powell would have made a lot of sense in you know in what was that 2014 I think that was 2014 or 2013 one of those years no that wasn't even Tyvis Powell that was um who was the dude that had the same name as the uh, Pitt Brown yeah. that was Pitt okay, Brown yeah. that wasn't even Tyvis Powell yeah you're right that was like that was an easy yeah decision and that was one 
that wasn't made. Yeah, imagine how good Von Bell would have been with another year of experience. That goes back to just what we've talked about before and, and maybe is a larger issue at Ohio State that we've seen not only from players but from coaches, and that's just the inability or complete reluctance to say, hey, this isn't working. We're going somewhere else. It happens. It happened at quarterback. It happened at safety with Von Bell. We've seen it at corner. We've seen it at linebacker. There just seem to be players or coaches that just like aren't fitting, and that doesn't mean they shouldn't have a spot on the team or not have a job. But at some point, it's like, hey, get somebody else in there and see if and see if they can make some plays. And that's just I think where the where the disconnect is in. You see other successful programs, there being a pattern of this. We've talked about what Alabama did at quarterback last season. Look at what Clemson did this year. Is that something Urban Meyer would ever consider is doing that to Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence comes in and look at where Clemson's offense is right now. They are operating at such a high level in relation to what their defense is doing and they look extremely scary and that stuff that they've done before. So you'll see these other high-level teams make these decisions. And right now, the best we can say is that Ohio State replaced their kicker, and we still don't know how good Blake Hobbill is. But like, at the very least, like we've seen what Sean Nuremberger is. Let's see what the other guy can give. But like, that's all we can get right now is the kicker. Yeah, I, I do think that it's it's a pretty big difference between the the coaching staffs, and that's that's really. I mean, you don't see Alabama getting blown out by mid-level SEC teams. You don't see even Clemson. Clemson doesn't get really blown out by mid-level ACC teams. They lost to Clem- they lost to Syracuse last year, but I don't, I don't think Clemson is as talented as Ohio State, and they they beat Ohio State 31-0 a couple years ago. And it, it's I, I think it's just that Urban Meyer is very conservative and that that shows in his play calling that shows in Ohio State getting really tight in big games that shows in their um, you know unwillingness to to change things with the personnel speaking of the coaches and Urban Meyer we got this question here from our buddy Eddie he says uh, given today's news conference where they've basically decided to change nothing even after the loss can we lobby for a new coach now yes the recruiting will go down but Urban and his crew have thrown in the towel and the kids deserve better. <laughs> I think people know where I stand on this. I would like to see Ryan Day as the head coach at Ohio State. I think that Ryan Day is a bit more capable at this point, if not significantly more capable. But the I, I wrote a piece that was kind of adjacent to this that got some, some folks pretty riled up online about how uh, Ohio State made a mistake by not firing Urban Meyer and in August, and we got another question about this that we'll probably address a little later. And that was not to say that Ohio State should fire Urban Meyer now, because they can't do that. Ohio State is not going to be able to fire Urban Meyer at this point, because with his record, with the amount of money that he's making, you can't do that. You cannot fire a coach that has the record of Urban Meyer and expect any coach to want that job, because that sends a message to all other coaches that the expectation here is so sky high and even without the the context of what those losses are which i do think the the losses and the kind of losses ohio state has been taking are justification for wanting urban meyer to not be the coach anymore and to see the direction that this program is going in and the not so 
not so subtle comparisons that can be made to his his time at Florida. I, I think that it's certainly it would be justified if they were to do that, but they can't do it. They're going to need him to retire if they want to if they want to have a new coach. I'm guessing that new coach would be Ryan Day. I wouldn't hate it if it was Matt Campbell. I wouldn't hate it if it was Dino Babers. I, I think that even a guy like Jeff Brom would be awesome if Ohio State could get him, but. I don't think that they're going to be able to fire him just because of the message that that would send. And that's, you know, it's a tough situation that they've put themselves in. Yeah. And I I think it remains to be seen what happens the rest of the season, because if you're going to play, I'll play devil's advocate for them here and say that, Hey, when they have taken losses, they have bounced back for the most part. We've only seen them lose back to back games. What once in his tenure here. So there's a history of them, when this happens, getting a total refresh and being able to bounce back and finish the season strong. I'm not sure that'll happen this year. We'll have to watch that play out. But I I said on Twitter the other day that I would just much rather, if if it does continue the way that it's gone, Ohio State be able to just cut ties in terms of like a forced retirement if they tell him, hey, you either have to change or this thing is over and do that right away and have to deal with, with the fallout in 2019 and 2020, then stick around for things to get worse in the next three or four years or like two years and be in the wilderness for five or seven just because he stuck around too long. And I think that at the very least, it's a legitimate question worth ham- worth uh, worth talking about right now. So we'll, we'll see. All right, we also got a question from jerk zeus about okay how <laughs> i can't i can't even say fantastic name. looking looking at looking at this guy guy's profile fantastic picture. profile shout out to you <laughs> shout out to you my friend he says okay do you really feel urban meyer should have been fired over the zach smith thing um i don't know about you so i can't i can't speak for the entire podcast i think i do know where you stand but um my answer is yeah absolutely he should have been fired i, I think he 100% should have been fired. I, I think that he got off easy because of his his win record and what he does as a coach. And in retrospect, that looks kind of silly now. But yeah, I think he should have been fired. He he did a really bad thing, continuing to keep Zach Smith on the staff despite knowing about domestic abuse. I think that that's a bad thing to do, and I think that he should have been fired for it. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I don't, at this point, I really just don't have any strong feelings toward this whole thing anymore. I think it's just become a straight up circus and has totally missed the point of what it was in the beginning. And I, as I said, when, when it happened, you know, I wouldn't have felt any sort of way if they were to just axe him. And this may be something we look back on in five or seven years that was a changing point of the program. We'll see. But I do think that there's a bit more uncertainty around Columbus than there has been in a really long time, which is odd to talk about given that win loss record. But, you know, you have a staff that preaches accountability so much and there really wasn't any accountability here. And, you know, we talk about the reluctance to to fire people for football reasons. We had like a double decker of not only football reasons, but also like significant off the field stuff that Meyer and, and his lieutenants like to preach is like the main tenant of their program outside of football is respecting women and, you know, having respect for the program and respect for the university. And, you know, for as much as the Jim Trestle Tatgate stuff was a story, like whatever, who gives a shit about any of that stuff? 
Like, that's minor stuff. This was stuff that was, like, actually, I think, a black mark for the university. And it wouldn't have been sad to me at all had they had they just made that move. So I, I wouldn't have been opposed to it. Yeah, I... um. Speaking of of coaches, I just got a an email from the some some bet service that email writers for some reason about uh, I guess it's because I tweeted out, but uh, about who Ohio State's coach at the start of 2019 spring practice would be. Urban Myers at the top plus 125, Matt Campbell at plus 150, Ryan Day at 10 to one. That's interesting. It's interesting that Matt Campbell is that far ahead of. Of Ryan Day, I'm sure that we'll talk about that more if Urban Meyer does actually retire at the end of the season or whatever is to to come of this current situation. But I, I think that that's that's certainly something to keep an eye on. I like Matt Campbell a lot. I, I think Matt Campbell would would make a lot of sense here. I also think that he's pretty good friends with Urban Meyer, and it, it's kind of not a ton would change with the way things are done here. I don't know all that much about Matt Campbell as a person, but that. I don't know. I, I think he would be. I think he'd be pretty good here. I'm surprised that he's that much higher than Ryan Day, though. Do we have any other questions we want to get to before we get out of here? I, I have a couple here that I think we could we could get through pretty quickly. If you want to do some some rapid fire, yeah, let's do it. From Michael, we had how many yards will the defense give up against the bye? Five hundred. I think five hundred is is just about right. <laughs> Uh, from Hootie, who has a very nice picture of Abe Lincoln as his his profile. He says, why does Patrick giggle so much? It's because I'm a child. From Andy, we have, how would you use healthy Brandon Bowen to improve the performance of the offensive line? I like this question a lot. I think Brandon Bowen will help, actually help the offensive line when he's back and healthy. I think I would probably put him in Malcolm Prigion's spot right now. I honestly, I wouldn't hate it if when Bowen is back and healthy, you put him at guard and then Michael Jordan out at tackle instead of Thayer Munford because Thayer Munford is not not there yet preparation-wise or on the field performance-wise. And I think Michael Jordan would make for a very good tackle. Whoever would take over at center, I'm not sure. Maybe if um, maybe if someone could step up, it would be very helpful. Maybe even Malcolm Prigion could move into center. But I think that that's how I would how I would use him is is putting him back at that guard spot. This is not a good conversation to be having week eight about the <laughs> offensive line moving the center to tackle. But that's where we are. Yeah, I think Brandon Bowen just would give them an extra piece to use, and this offense can or this offensive line can use everybody they can get right now. So having him back. I think would be would be massive. Uh, from our buddy Eric, we got how incredible is it that the fans have been screaming about the linebackers on the line of scrimmage? And Jeff Brom noted on the coach's call how he thought they could exploit the middle of the field behind them, yet the coaching staff stubbornly refused to change for seven weeks. It's awesome. It's great that Greg Schiano makes one point five million dollars a year to do this. It's it's very very good uh, to me. Um, Chuck says, why do we refer to it as a buy and rather than an open week? I don't know. Why do we do that? I don't know. That's Chuck's asking the hard hitting questions here. Chuck, you should be a part of the Ohio state beat. You ask harder questions than they do. (laughs) Oh, Josh asks, what alcohol do you have the worst memory because of, uh, what's the worst injury you've had? And is there a good story to it? I don't think that's related to the first question. And then he says side back or stomach sleeper. Um, I'll start. I can't drink alcohol legally because I'm not old enough Two injury. I broke both of my wrists playing basketball in eighth grade. Three, I'm a side sleeper. Wow, you're not even 21. No, I'm not. <laughs> wow, we, we're all learning things yeah. here, folks. Wow, <laughs> that's incredible. I did not know that. Well, there you go. <laughs> I have I have 
a couple that tie into each other. One, vodka. I no, I just can't do it anymore. Every time it's like three shots, I'm I'm out. I don't know what it is about vodka, but I have had some tough nights on uh <laughs> on vodka and I, I won't do it anymore. Uh worst injury, back in high school, we were partying at one of our friends' old houses. The parents were in the midst of selling it. It was like a show house. And so it was just like open. It was still kind of furnished, but nobody had bought it yet. And so we had partied in it like a couple weeks in a row and had gotten away with it. And we decided for a third time and we we did not get away with it. <laughs> Mid-party, uh, her parents walked into the house. And so we all kind of scattered. So we all ran into the backyard and there was like those like, you know, nondescript wooden fences that are whatever, oh, no. seven feet, seven feet high. And so crawled over the fences and when i jumped like i landed straight down on my ankle and i had a purple line from like my pinky toe all the way to my heel for like a week and i just didn't tell anybody like i didn't tell my parents about it and so i was just like limping around on what i think was a sprained foot if it were broken i definitely would have been in worse pain but that was like the worst injury i ever felt but like the rest of the night i was like oh I have a little bit of a limp. I feel great. Woke up that next morning, man. One of the worst days of my life. Oh my god, I hate that. I hate that so much. <laughs> I um, I think I sprained. I, I think it was a sprain a couple months ago playing basketball, and it is, it is no joke. It hurts. Sprained ankles are no no fun. So you are you are tougher than I am because I think I went right to the doctor for that. Um, I think that's all the questions we have. So some some good ones. Some good ones this time around. We we appreciate y'all sending in the the good Ohio State related and non Ohio State related questions. These are sure always uh, fun shows to do. Yeah, we managed to squeeze an hour out of the Ohio State bye week and didn't get too mad online well, about the mad. coaches. We got a little mad online. We but got that's, a little mad. That's really our brand. But we appreciate you guys interacting with the show. Thank you for the questions. And we don't have to do these mailbags for you guys to ask us questions. Always hit us up on at Holy Land Pod on Twitter, and we'll always get to your questions there. Follow Patrick and I on Twitter at Patrick underscore Mayhorn, and I am at Dubs Call. Follow the site at LandGrant33, and always interact with the show on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash LandGrantHolyLand, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. I've seen a significant jump in the ratings. We have, I think, like eight or nine new ones, but the rating hasn't changed, so I'm super scared to see what it is if, if we go down from that 3.5 down to the three but we always appreciate you guys leaving a rating uh leaving a review on apple podcasts and interacting with the show in whatever ways you can but that'll wrap up today's show we want to thank you guys for listening we'll be back next week mercifully previewing the nebraska game and, and hoping that there is no way that ohio state can lose to a one in six oh. nebraska team but the fact that we're even talking about it is kind of where ohio state football is at right now but we will get to that early next week and we will catch you right here on the hangout in the holy land <laughs>